0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I have my friend Alan come back on the show today. He was our first guest on our very first episode and I invited him back on today to talk about some things in relationship to business and what it means to actually be an active participant in the world and what we do with our money and who we buy from because the fact is we all purchase goods from somewhere. We talk about the implications of that and how we can all work together um, to ultimately see justice happen in the world Uh, because everything is driven by money such an unfortunate thing however it is a uh, I guess you could say a necessary evil in our day and age we talk about if we're going to use money how do we do it and put it in the pockets of the right people in order to see positive change in our life instead of injustice, exploitation, and harm to the earth. So uh, really excited for that conversation today. Also, I just want to reach out to you guys to say that, hey, we love doing this podcast. When I say we, it's all of my friends that have the opportunity to come onto this show. And I just want to invite you. If you are somewhere around here in San Diego and you have something going on, Let's get together. Let's talk about it on the podcast. Let's bring some light to it. Even if we are, you know, miles away, that's why we have the internet and Skype. So would love to have you reach out to us. I know uh, one of my friends actually reached out to me uh, from back in the Midwest. And, you know, he was like, you know, I just decided to start listening to the Spiritual Nomad podcast. And I'm just telling you, like it's really really hitting home for me right now and there are things that I've not thought about that you and some of your friends are talking about and we had this really awesome conversation and that was just really eye-opening for me to know that like I'm glad that people are being shaped and transformed by it so uh, i just hope that that is a continuous thing for many more of you and so we would just love to hear from you i would love to hear from you many of you are my personal friends and i would love to hear from you Uh, have you checked it out do you disagree do you agree what do you think what has been stirred up within you i'd love love to chat and talk about some of that stuff also too lastly We have actually some events that are gonna be happening here in San Diego. Yes, my friends, some events that you can come to and they're gonna be amazing. I love further details. This is strictly a teaser. So I will have more details on upcoming episodes. I have some really, really special guests. there are going to be coming on the show so the guests that we've had they have been amazing and we have even more amazing guests coming on the spiritual nomad podcast seriously cannot wait so if you'd like to subscribe leave us a review tell your friend um, i'm excited to continue to explore this journey uh, together so without further ado here is my conversation with my friend alan hagigi of fruit craft fermentary and distillery enjoy So, Alan, sitting here with you, here back at the uh, California Fruit Wine... Uh, headquarters. Headquarters. Uh, is this Carlsbad or Vista?
1: Carlsbad.
0: Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, we decided to chat again, and I know it's like last minute, so I sent Alan a text this morning. He was like, dude, we need to do a podcast. <laughs> and he's like, tonight. And I'm like, down. Yeah, and
1: that doesn't always happen, so... No,
0: no. We yeah. were just talking about how valuable time is, so... Yeah, exactly. Appreciate your time. Yeah. So... Alan, um, he's been on the podcast before. Actually, the first actual spiritual nomad episode was your story.
1: There we go. Groundbreaking. Uh, so <laughs> there you go.
0: Go back and listen to, to Excommunicated, the very first episode. So, uh, But Alan, uh, him and his brother have a company called the California Fruit Wine Company. However, now it is called Fruit Craft, yep. right? And yep. it's uh, the... Wine and distillery. Oh, uh, it's
1: gonna be fermentary and distillery. It's okay. Kinda, I mean, there's no, you don't really see fermentaries around, but that's kind of the point. Right. And it's better than calling ourselves a winery when we don't even touch grapes. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, I mean, it is fruit wine, but at the end of the day, even that category doesn't do it justice. It's alcohol made from all the highest quality ingredients that nature provides. So, kind of a category in itself, fermentary. We're a fermentary. We make fruit, fermented fruit. Yeah, <laughs> dude, and it's.
0: It's freaking good. Yeah. So if you're in Southern California, you need to get to San Diego, or you guys have them in Trader Joe's, right? Uh, it's actually Whole Foods. Whole Foods? Yeah. Which is even better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so if you've seen the South Park episode of the Whole Foods, you know <laughs> you know those are only in cool places. So.
1: But the even cooler places that to actually come to the tasting room, taste all the wines, and uh, you can chat with me, you know, and that's kind of like, that's worth some money right there. Shoot. There you go, dude.
0: <laughs> so I just wanted to make a little plug for that and to give you guys some context, because uh, really Alan has a much more grand master plan behind simply making absolutely delicious <laughs> beverages that sneak up on you, if you uh, know what I mean. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dangerous, we make them dangerous. Dude, <laughs> for sure. Kind of intentional. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And uh you know what I is cool about Alan is, you know, we met, you know, just through a mutual friend, as we've said on a past podcast, and you just began to share stuff that resonated with me as far as um, business and incorporating and using that as like a a way um, to really engage people where they're at and having a more holistic view of the world yeah uh you know i, I think some of our original conversations even you wait you came to our apartment and we watched a like uh, the uh documentary
1: um it was one that leonardo dicaprio did with the uh, global warming, one or yeah, 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 climate change, or whatever. Yeah, I forget what it's called. But and I think oh, that, before the flood is what it was. Yeah, called, before, like, the before the flood.
0: And so we did. We watched that, and that sparked into a whole conversation about mm-hmm. how, like, well, the real culprit behind a lot of this is big business, you know, corporations that are fueled by by greed and exploitation and all of those things. Yeah. And you begin to share this vision that you have, you know, beginning, you know, with 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 California fruit wine and, and all of this. So yeah. however much you feel comfortable with sharing, I think yeah. what's really cool for our listeners, I think is understanding that like in this idea of spiritual nomad, it's about embracing that like, uh, I, it's this has been quoted, this isn't my quote, but everything is spiritual. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right? You know, OG Rob. Yeah. Uh, right. Everything is spiritual. And that means like, What we do in the planet, how we spend our money, Mm -hmm. how we make our money, um, you know, and how we just how we do things holistically as -hmm. people. And um, so I think for our listeners, for Spiritual Nomad, I think it's moving towards this, um, shall I say, and you can correct me if you like different (laughs) verbiage, but post-evangelical world that like, you know, everything can be... um, spiritual but but ritual and and sacred and all of these things and you bring a sacred approach to to business so maybe just share just a little bit of the backstory of how you and your brother brian got into this yeah. and, and how where this sparked from i mean because yeah. most people get into business yeah, yeah not for the reasons you do right. you know so
1: well i mean you know i had originally gotten into this business from trying to start a uh like a home church, you know what I mean? So this, I had met that couple, they were making fruit wine as a hobby. We went into business together um, and you know, it had always been, and actually there's something to know about that couple. The husband and wife um, had just been going through so much because the wife had just broke her back and had Mm -hmm. just recently been in a wheelchair. And so the level of support she needed from her family and from our community, you know, is part of the reason we started that company. And so what drove us and motivated us was always essentially let's try to get some money going so we can solve really our problems economically, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, having said that, you know, what the real light bulb that went off was when you start realizing where this company can go or where a product like this can go. That's not something you know right away. All you know is it doesn't exist. Let's try to create it. And let's try to sell it at a farmer's market. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But then when people start going, oh my gosh, this is so good, or like whatever, you know, like wow, maybe we have something like bigger than we thought it was, right? And so kind of figuring out what that was and what that might look like set us on a path of really going, wow, this could belong to us, mm. you know. And uh, you know, just to not uh, gloss over the story too much, but you know, the, the partners that we originally started the company with. It didn't really pan out, largely because the company was still trying to get off the ground, not enough money to bottle the wine we just made or whatever else. And there was an obvious lack of kind of financial prioritization. Hmm. Um, And, you know, it just wasn't properly communicated. But, you know, we were investing everything we had into this business and that wasn't happening on the other side and it just caused a conflict. Uh, to a point where we bought them out, you know, it was for $5,000, which was tons back then. I mean, right. you need a lot of money to, <laughs> to try to do anything when you're starting up. Um, but we knew it was going to have the long-term benefit of um, making them happy, making us happy. It was fair at the time. Yeah. Now what's being built is largely because of the things that we've done. But now the question isn't, once again, what can I get out of it? But how can I create a fair system that gets me everything that I need? also acknowledges kind of what I can be content with because, you know, when you consider what you could turn a, your own business into, you could end up, if you start started a successful business, not working a day in your life and making money off other people's labor. Yeah. That could totally happen. Yeah. Um, and that's what most people want to do. Right. <laughs> that's the dream, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know. That's the
0: American dream right yeah, there. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. You know,
1: the thing is, is maybe we need a new American dream, right? Right. Or, or yes. one that actually recognizes where fulfillment and happiness comes in because yeah. you can be on vacation the rest of your life but you're not going to be fulfilled because you'll never have given and contributed what you're supposed to contribute to our world right and that's what makes you feel good about living is that contribution if you can't make it it's uh, or if, if you've been brainwashed into believing that you're bringing value, <laughs> you know, yes. while you're on vacation and other people are working and bringing value in the marketplace. I mean, that's what's happening. They're creating products or services that do bring value to people's lives. That's why they exchange their hard-earned money for it. Yeah. Um, but the real question that you start to realize as a business owner is how you can manipulate all the cash in, cash out, ownership leveraged and all these various um, structures to... Give you the highest possible return you possibly can get from the business, mm-hmm. and that's your normal ethic when it comes to starting a company, and it's normal motivation. Um, but having been someone who recognized early on that I bought a brand new bench press, and you know I was happy for two weeks, but the shininess wore off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then <laughs> I went on to the next shiny thing, and I just recognized, and I think we all can, and many of us already have, um, that these material things never kind of deliver on the promise that is encompassed in them. Right. Um, and so just from making wise decision standpoint, um, you're looking for happiness in a not material sense. And that can only happen really by giving to others and living out what it means to love. Yeah. And that's kind of the funny thing is like, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about in business, it's not common to love. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like love is probably like if you were to ask someone like what's the purpose of life or if you were to kind of learn from all of life's lessons and you're on your deathbed and you now are asked what's valuable it's never the material mm-hmm. it's because you can't take it with you and it's always something relational and that's where love is embodied right so um <laughs>
0: when did that shift begin to happen though you know because that's what i'm curious about because in the beginning it was to meet some financial needs you know with the people in your group and that's what i think it really even what you have planned now is kind of rooted in that. It's yeah. about simply meeting not only your needs, but the needs of others. But mm-hmm. it, I saw a fire in you. And yeah. we first started talking about like, well, w- the changes that need to happen in mm-hmm. our world to begin to experience that as a reality, Yeah, you know? So yeah. like as a business owner and, and as a person who follows, you know, I love the, you keep yeah. it alive, just calling it the way yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> like, someone who does that like how what fires you up I mm-hmm. guess about the current state yeah. of where we're at and I mean you kind of touched on that a little bit but mm-hmm. I think like there there is some you know level of you know frustration but also mm-hmm. resolve that you have to do that you know what I yeah. mean
1: yeah you know so there's a there's kind of a few ways I approach that question um, the first is inherently there's nothing wrong with being on vacation and and relaxing and taking vacation, honestly, especially if you, like, deserve it. You know? Right. Um, but, you know, there is an opportunity cost question. Um, and so what fires me up is understanding the numbers of our world and the yeah. reality of most life. Um, here in the West, in America, this is kind of true for many European countries as well, but definitely most so probably in Southern California, United States of America. Right? Yeah. Lots of wealth, a lot of options. If you want Indian food, you can go get it. If you want uh, pho, go get it. You know, it's like every single type of cuisine. We live in a very, very luxurious world. Running water, air conditioning. We don't ever lack for anything. And it's the best. Everything. It's so, so I heard much that like, California is yeah.
0: like the playground for the rich, you Dude,
1: know? It is awesome. And I'm not
0: rich, so. <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, but I am. mathematically,
1: yeah. we are, you know? And I, I think broadly, when I consider. Um, what a company can be, right? In this context, we're not talking about what do most businesses already do. I mean, that's the whole nature of entrepreneurship: is you're not asking what's been done, you're asking uh, what can be done. Yeah. And in the context of like where business is trending and where people are rewarding companies with their dollars because they're going organic or they're going fair trade or they're going sustainable, um, you know, I consider. That if we are continually trying to em, uh, embody a company that is being becoming better and better and better and bringing more value and more value, um, then the best way to start to go there is go to the, its final kind of conclusion. What is it, where is it going? Mm-hmm. It used to be, you know. Even let, let's just take a, a easier example for me: uh, the U.S. political environment, right? Let's, you know, everybody couldn't vote. <laughs> <laughs> then we got through the three-fifths compromise and. 18-something, rather. I don't I don't know the history all that well. <laughs> I believe
0: you. <laughs> yeah, so. and eventually
1: it became a one-to-one thing, but still it was all men. Women didn't get the right, you know, but now we live in a world where everybody has the right to vote. We still have work to do. Why? Because of the gerrymandering and all this stuff that doesn't even let your vote count. <laughs> You're right.
0: That's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole
1: other <laughs> podcast. But the point is, is the final conclusion of this work, of this progress, was for everyone to get the right to vote. The same thing is true for business, right? When you're talking about how to create an organization that embodies the truest and the best and where is where is it trending and where is human nature progressing us towards, that nature is actually moving us in a direction just like our, we didn't like living in a government where it was a king and a, or a dictator and we didn't have rights. Uh, we ended up embodying a democracy. Well, that's actually the same exact thing that needs to happen in the workplace. It's yeah. actually, this isn't... This comes not only from kind of philosophical religious thought, but also from um, political history Um, and all the things that, you know, we as a democracy hold so dear and true is never embodied in in corporate environments. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it's kind of silly. So it's and it's, you know, in a democracy, the whole purpose of its existence, the government is there to serve the people. They're the ones who empower the government. Right In a business environment, it's not like that. You still have owners, right? Yeah. They're not there to serve the people. They're there to serve the owners and the people are used as pawns in their little game of chess. Right. Um, if they sell the company, half the workforce can go. You know, if they had a great culture or a culture ahead of it being sold, who knows now? It's got new owners. They can reset the whole thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think that's even goes to how we've like seen marketing change too. It used to be like marketing was just manipulation for the pawn Yeah. and I think we've seen a major shift in our generation mm-hmm. of just like people realizing like I'm I'm not yeah. proverbially drinking the Kool-Aid anymore Yeah. and there's this major resurgence mm-hmm. of just you know like unless we know who the owner is yeah. we're not we're not giving you our dollars yeah. you know yeah. and I think that you know the power is in the money and I think that's what you talk about too yeah. like the fact is and I'm I'm kind of Speaking out of both sides of my mouth right now because there are still things that I I purchased that I maybe don't want to purchase but it's convenient but I realize like There's there's always going to be extreme but like there's also a a season of Mm
1: -hmm. in
0: between Yeah And so like as much so where I'm at right now is like as much as I can I try to Yeah
1: Yeah And
0: I think that's kind of like my motto and some people would tell me I'm wrong you know Whatever but it's like the fact is whenever you live in an in-between state of like there's people like you who are saying, you know, well, if the king needs to be overthrown, let's build another kingdom to rival it, yeah. and and build an army to mm-hmm. rival that army. And yeah. and so I think in between of of that time, it's it's kind of like yeah. I don't know. The thought that just came to me is, you know, whenever we are colonizing, you know, America, yeah. it's like they still drank England's tea. Yeah. You know, and they still like ate some of the goods that came from there <laughs> when they were still trying to do it. And I, I kind of maybe. I'm <laughs> justifying myself in some ways, but yeah. I just want to learn more too. like, yeah. and for our listeners, like how we can begin to join that and make that shift in, 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 how do we, how do we seek out what is good? I think yeah. some of your in or your uh, Facebook live videos have been good. What makes a company worthy of beginning to give power to? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you did kind of mention it briefly earlier, which it's, it's based on ownership, right? Um, if we don't realize that every time we spend a dollar with company X, that 35 cents of it goes to the products that get created, um, and that's the overhead, you know, whatever, 20% of it goes to the labor, and then, you know, actually, maybe let's go 35 and 35. That's probably more accurate. <laughs> yeah. So 70% overall is just kind of swallowed up with cost. Labor is considered a cost in the system. And then from the profit standpoint, typically what ends up happening is the owners can pay it to themselves in dividends. The mm-hmm. only reason they would never do that is if they reinvest it into more growth in the company, so that the dividends would one day be even larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at the biggest companies in the world, the amount that they pass through their corporate profits, you know, like to their shareholders in the form of dividends, is outlandishly out, just ridiculous, right? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, for every dollar we give those companies, thirty cents of it is going to fatten the pockets of people who already have more than enough. Yeah. Um, now, if you were to spend that same dollar with a social value enterprise, and I say that specifically because it means two things. It means that it's employee owned and it means that even the employees aren't looking at their ownership in the same paradigm as a traditional owner would. They're not asking what I can get out of it. They're asking, what's our purpose? You know, how can we have everything that we want out of the work life balance we want out of the the, um, the impact and the purpose of the company? Well, also... Um, you know, making a living and, and all that kind of stuff, right? It's, there can be win-win-win-win-wins. Um, so, yeah, once again, if you spend that dollar with that social value enterprise, it goes to more consumer dollars being spent in our marketplace, which means more of us can start businesses, because more people have money to spend. Um, and it also means that um, when the companies that we buy from in a social value enterprise context are profitable, 10% every year gets donated to the School of Social Value Entrepreneurship, and that's giving people access to grants to start employee owned companies that are also going to be paying it forward in the same way this is designed as an economic system to embody it's better to give than to receive and it's also designed to have outcomes that we all desire in these systems everybody gets what they want even investors get some phenomenal growth because even if the broader economy isn't growing as this model trends and becomes very um value added, people start buying around it, Um, it will eventually result in you making better returns because these companies are disrupting and taking market share away from other companies that can't compete with that value proposition because people's loyalty is tied to the social value enterprise model, the employee ownership, the paying it forward thing.
0: So the social value enterprise, and just to bring a little context, I know you jumped into that. For some people that don't have any context yeah. for what that is, and you did just explain it, yeah. you know, thoroughly, but in a maybe a, a layman's term, yeah. you know, your your general person that's like, yeah. hey, you know, w- w- what makes this sort of enterprise yeah. different than, you know, the enterprise that we're mm-hmm. in, you know? Well,
1: let me let me uh, you know iterate that even more. The reason why we're even coining it that, the reason why we're not just saying we're social entrepreneurs, we're social value entrepreneurs is because social entrepreneurship can be vague. Tom Shoes, one for one, you know, they're kind of the pioneers of social entrepreneurship. Totally. But the reality is we didn't realize by our consumptions, consumption, but that the uh, owner, um, Blake Mykoski, was actually amassing a personal fortune by our consumption. You know, uh, a few years back, he saw... He sold the company, half of it anyways, to Bain Capital, uh, which is a private equity firm that's gigantic and already has more than enough money again. Um, right. And he walked away w- uh, with $300 million. Yeah. That's a lot of money for someone who was just trying to do good by getting people's shoes, right? Right. Maybe that wasn't his motive, hmm. right? The motive is in the money. If you follow the money, you'll know why people are doing what they're doing, totally. which is what's relevant about a social value enterprise. My brother and I could be the Blake Mykoski. We could sell this company and walk away with a ton of money. That's how most people look at the biggest upside of starting a business is selling it. But because our motives are different, um, we've given up all of our ownership. Then the exact opposite, right? That is a hugely bold thing. I don't know that many people who look at the potential of making $300 million and saying, I don't need that. You're right. That's what we've done. So what we've we've done that for a reason. One is we're talking about happiness. We've already been there. We're not dumb. Let's not make dumb decisions, thinking we're going to be happy by becoming more materialistic. Right. Um, But two, uh, this is also supposed to be a competitive thing, right? This is actually really wise entrepreneurship because what you're doing is you're creating a value proposition that is impossible to compete with. Yeah. And that means you have longevity in the marketplace. That means you have a different type of advocacy from your consumers. And that means that... um, you're you're going to be able to break through the noise more easily as well. Because this is something that people care about. If you want to rebuild our economy, this is one way to do it. And as a matter of fact, the part that gets me the most excited is the prospects of the company we currently are managing. And that is the the Fruitcraft Fermentary and Distillery Company. This is literally... Um, got so much potential to, because no one's making these alcohols, and the alcohol market's gigantic. It's a two hundred billion dollar market. Yeah. So we can be going into every major metropolitan marketplace: Chicago, Seattle, Portland, uh, Austin, Texas. Every single one, we can be opening up local. Production facilities and tasting rooms, introducing this category to the locals, um, and winning people over because it is an incredibly competitive category. And as that matures in every major marketplace in the country, the prospects of turning over you know hundreds of millions of dollars a year is is very high because of this inherent untapped market and the
0: mm-hmm.
1: the head start we have in it.
0: Well, and it makes your not to interrupt you, but yeah. it makes it makes your guys's, uh your guys. Uh, it, it. I guess a better way to say it is helping people and understanding the social value isn't a marketing Yeah, thing. right. It's an actual reality. Yeah, and and I think that that comes straight from your heart mm-hmm. and I think the difference is and I, I it's interesting like Being about people's well-being is now becoming cheapened by marketing tactics. Yeah, and like Everybody's on this whole storytelling thing. And mm-hmm. of course it, it's true, you know, it, yeah. and it's like caring about people. And it's like,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> it, it, what pisses me off is that it's like big businesses, like, oh, the millennials just say they care about people. So we will too. Mm-hmm. So you can continue to buy our yeah. stuff. And it's like what I really like about the social value enterprise is that it's yeah. like, no, this isn't like a phase yeah. for our company right. to just kind of get into. Like yeah. we truly think that mm-hmm. the only way that our world is going to change yeah. is by being competitive yeah. and caring about people because mm-hmm. they're people. Yeah. They're not potential pawns <laughs> to be shaped. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's what I think is completely holistic about your thing. And yeah. From the minute that you told me about this, mm-hmm. I was just like, absolutely. This has, yeah. you know, if you want to get Christian, this has the kingdom <laughs> all over it, yeah. you know? And so... With with you, so what does that look like to create something that starts things that begin to overtake? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that look like? How does, I mean, obviously it starts with your company, but how mm-hmm. does that bleed into the to yeah. the rest of the market?
1: You totally. Know? And I and the answer to that question is kind of two two fronts. Um, the first is consumer kind of education. So. Um, that's the whole purpose of coining the term social value enterprise right it's supposed to evoke trust no question whether or not there's ulterior motives right if you're a social entrepreneur and you give one for every one i'm going to question your motives all day every day show me who owns the company show Mm -hmm. me who who's entitled to control show me who's entitled to where the profits go you show me that and then i'll have trust well the whole point of social value entrepreneurship and enter the enterprise model is to you know, reproduce it so that all consumers can say, okay, I spend $800 a month on beer, pretzels, <laughs> wine, vodka, no, nah, that guy drinks a lot. But uh, uh, you can have, uh, you know? Uh, whatever you spend your money on, if you want to have an impact, if you had the right alternative, like a social value enterprise, you could absolutely redirect your consumer dollars probably get better products because these companies producing the products are going to be more innovative being employee-owned. They're also going to care more about what ends up in the marketplace because they are the ones who also consume in the marketplace. They're not, you know, sheltered from that like the one person could be, right? I have a personal chef and they get it organically from my garden. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you don't have to shop where all these pesticides are being used. So apparently, you know, it does, mm-hmm. it's not a concern for you, but even though you made your, your profits, right? So um, the first is the that coining that term, making it mainstream, and us aligning our consumer dollars around that. The second is like it because companies need to be started to meet that same need. To, yeah. to If the consumer is going to demand it, then the supply needs to be there. And so in order for supply to exist, these companies need money, they need education, they need training, they need systems that are reproducible, especially if we're trying to make a difference in a short enough period of time to do things like stop climate change or... Mm -hmm. Uh, You know (laughs) provide for people dying all over the place Uh, get some people some water. (laughs) Yeah, like that's a really big deal, right? Yeah, Uh, what is it? Was it Somalia? Yeah, it's Somalia. like There's really legitimate easy turnkey solutions to this go get them water You know what you do you write a check for whatever ten billion dollars and water ends up there It's amazing, but no one wants to write a ten billion dollar check, right? The reality is ten billion dollars isn't even a whole lot of money and that's part of the other thing about our model, and this is why what I'm getting into, which is it's great that the California Fruit Wine Company, my bad, old ways, <laughs> Fruitcraft, Fruitcraft, fermentary <laughs> and distillery, employee owned, mission driven, by the way. Um, it's great that we could build to hundreds of millions, if not potentially billions in revenue, based on the way I look at the market. Um, and if we're taking those profits and we were just like giving away, say a couple billion dollars a year to charitable things believe it or not the size that we need to like tackle this with it's not a couple billion dollars it's like a trillion dollars right which means two billion dollars of donations isn't going to get you anything um, and so what you have to do is you got to consider okay how do you take that two billion and do the most you possibly can with it mm-hmm. um, and really what we came up with was well you know when you're considering growing money, which is essentially your task at hand with that $2 billion of profits, best thing to do is actually put it into startup companies. Yeah, And the reason why is if you put it into a mature company that's growing by two or 3%, that money isn't going to grow by more than two or 3%. But since startup companies don't exist and they can go from no revenue to a million in revenue to 100 million in revenue, the type of growth you can see and the type of multiplication you can have um, is immense. Having said that, it's inherently riskier. But, you know, as as we come, tackle this problem with science, we go every single one of these issues is addressable. Why do companies fail? They don't have the right uh, people behind it. You can train the right people. You can make sure that before they even get a dollar of money that they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you can make sure they have the money because if they run out of money, that's one way companies go out of business. So addressable, right? Um, Do they have a great product? Once again, even that's addressable because as we look at this model, you don't even need a new product like the fruit alcohol we're creating. Um, You can go into a market with the same product other people have and just use one value proposition that's different. This is employee owned and it's 100% going to charity, right? Right. So, um, you don't even need to be that innovative in that regard, but you do need to make high quality products. So, in other case, we can launch hundreds of consumer-facing companies with the profits we make with California fruit wine. And when you look at that at fruition after 10, 20, 30 years, what you find is because we can, let's say we launched 10,000 companies over that period of time, those 10,000 companies are going to have taken away the market share from traditional businesses that are owned by one, two, 10, 100 people and not by the entire community. Um, and they will take away their market share and essentially redistribute the wealth, not through taxation, but through consumption. Mm-hmm. And it will go into employee owners' pockets. They'll be spending more money. It will actually result in economic vitality and growth. Right now, the paradigm actually lowers wages and, and for the sake of profits, and less money is out there in the market to be spent. It's, it's very uh, self-defeating. Right, right. <laughs> Um, but but the the combination of these two things, consumer consum- consumer advocacy and uh, and the grants that we're giving out, these aren't just investments. We're giving we're going to be giving away a hundred thousand dollars at a time to companies that go through our program because we know that's how much it truly takes to get off the ground properly. Right. We, we've been there. We know we know all about it.
0: And so the vision is, if you were to really just cast that that largely mm-hmm. in the you know you're getting all of this off the ground right now. I think that obviously I'm a believer or else I wouldn't have been like, hey, I I think you should tell some (laughs) more people about it through this, you know, platform here. But like, so what do we begin to see on the ground level as this begins to progress? Mm -hmm. And because I I believe that that the climate of our uh, social world right now in our generation is ripe for this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like we are, we're ripe for this. We're ready for this. Uh, and I think that uh, it it plays a huge part. Like I said, holistically, and mm-hmm. people seeing the value, and, and whether people, um, I guess you know, see it as marketing thing or not. At yeah. any rate, like if we are truly beginning to make a difference, yeah. whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, large scale. You know, looking forward, looking at the vision. Mm-hmm. You know, social value enterprise startups mm-hmm. begin to actually get to a place where they compete in the market. Yeah. What, what do we begin to see yeah economically yeah. what do we get to begin to see socially like how what does yeah. that look like for for ground
1: level mm-hmm. you know I mean so th- what it looks like is still um, a lot of migration because keep in mind even when it comes to investment or even if it comes to good paying jobs um, or just once again consumer demand and, and where that can migrate to what you see is as this model proves itself out, The company is going to be more competitive than any other company because everyone will have a vested interest as an owner. Um, The consumer uh, defensibility you have because of their loyalty is higher. right? Um, You also have a um, compounding effect because once these companies get launched and are profitable, 10% goes to the School of Social Value Entrepreneurship who's giving out more and more grants. But at maturity, when a company has already maximized its growth, all companies are going to at some point in time. Mm. It's part of the damning nature of public companies that have already matured so much. They're revenueing 46 billion dollars a year, and they have to contemplate how to get to 50, and they have to contemplate how to get to 100 billion a year. And if, hmm. like, if they stop growing, their investors jump ship. It's a, it's a whole thing, right? Um, and so the reality is there's this curse on companies to always perpetually grow, <laughs> and it's not going to happen. So there will come a point where this model butts up against. Companies that have been accustomed to growth, but they no longer can retain their market share. This is happening in craft beer right now. Uh, Craft breweries have eaten away $23 billion of a $100 billion market that was all belonged to the big companies before. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know what they've done? The big companies have gone and bought those craft breweries. And they will once again, potentially, if we're not wise wise enough to see through the ownership structures, own all the beer that we consume again. Right. Right. And this is what would end up happening with the social value enterprise movement too because they would be trying to acquire. Here's one of the beautiful parts. A social value enterprise cannot be sold. It is not for sale. Mm. So there's nothing these big companies can do as they look at their market share getting eaten away at even though they might have billions of dollars to say, hey, I'll give you a billion dollars, would you give me your business? And the people would flip them off. <laughs> yeah, totally. Take your money and spend it elsewhere because a social value enterprise cannot be sold. That's not why we exist. We yeah. don't need that sale theoretically, if an employee-owned company is sold, all the employees can walk away with tons of money. Right. Not $200, $300 million personally, but like a million dollars a person or something. Yeah, which is
0: huge. (laughs) Which is a lot.
1: Now, having said that, that does not create a better world either. It just perpetuates this divide between rich and poor, doesn't take care of the needs of anyone. We need to adopt a new mentality, a new ethic. That ethic is thinking about others. It's empathy. It's all the duh stuff. Duh. Right. We know. We've been taught all this stuff. Share. You should share as a kid. I'm a twin. Maybe I'd share a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but the reality is um, that's where business is going. That's what they're not going to be able to defend against. And I think that eventually all employees are like, I want to work for these companies. And the best of the best will migrate in this direction. I think that consumers, the the brightest that know that they want to see change, that you know, the college, a lot of them are college-educated people, that's where it's going. This is going to happen. Yeah. Professors are actually really helping out this movement as well. Um, and then and then lastly, investment dollars. Investors have to put money into places that are growing because they need to see returns on their investments. Mm-hmm. And if traditional investments are not growing because they're seeing their market share eaten up and there's nothing they can do to compete, because the only thing they could possibly do to compete would be to become employee owned and they would be giving up all their rights to all their profits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. That's the entire reason why the company exists. Yeah. I yeah. guarantee you once it stops producing profits, it's getting closed. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> So anyhow, um, what it looks like is all of us living in almost a utopian world by the end of all this. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is imagine going into work, not being afraid of being fired or whatever, but knowing you ha- you're there to bring value. This is still meritocracy, right? There's no freeloading. There's no all vacations all the time. None of that shit. <laughs> right. It's got to be, I'm here to bring value. I'm here to contribute. That's why I'm working. But I have everything that I need. And guess what? So does everybody around me. How right. beautiful of a world is that?
0: That sounds a lot like Jesus.
1: Maybe a bit. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it does. Yeah,
0: because I think that we, and this could go on a whole new trail, but we, in the name of you know capitalism, kind of don't see the Bible in, in maybe the original uh, light. Yeah. Uh, we don't read it as the ancient Middle Eastern text that it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that like we feel threatened by this sort of thing. And it's like, you know, as I was talking to you earlier, like I was uh, listening to a really good um, teaching a friend down in Ocean Beach. He, he did this, and um, it's a friend of a friend, and, and I actually want to get him on the podcast. But So I'm going to leave it undisclosed right now before I confirm him. But I hope to get him on. Uh, he's a professor, you know, super smart guy. Has a lot of, you know, degrees, a lot of letters in it that I don't understand. And so he's talking about, like, um, this group of these these people, you know that the the time period that Jesus walked to the face of the earth was very apocalyptic. It was very messianic. It was, you know, Jesus was not the only Messiah. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people who were the Messiah, Savior of the world. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people who wanted to be the Son of God to oppose the Son of God Caesar because Caesar said he was yeah. the Son of God, right? So a lot of those things. Once again, another podcast, yeah. major rabbit <laughs> show. But the point is, is that this group of people called the Essenes. They, unlike, so this is what Jesus did later is he brought the Essenes teaching and lifestyle. And he said, instead of saying, this system's corrupt, we're going to move out to the wilderness and do it out here. He, John first began to do this, John the Baptist. And then Jesus said that, you know, he's going to continue this after John was beheaded. And then that's why he tells his believers, you know, you will do even greater works than me. Like you're going to take this even farther. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea of bringing this this commune in the, from the Essenes into the public yeah. eye. And I see a lot of parallels with what you're saying because the Essenes, they were a communal people. Mm-hmm. And because they were obsessed with commune, Jesus, a lot of his stuff is commune. Yep. And whenever you get a person that believes in a commune, they yeah. become a commune. and that's not American you know (laughs) that's not at all you know oh we gotta escape that you know so I'm not like advocating communism right now however the irony
1: is the red scare was intended on people not exploring these ideas and keep in mind it was happening during all this hippie revival stuff going all over the place so I mean like the um, the word communism is super loaded you know oh totally now most people think of it because this is the way we've educated people it's you know Uh, uh, Russia, China, and then any other nations that adopted a really, really, really heavy authoritative structure of communism, right? Yeah. Now, there's people like Karl Marx who wrote the Communist Manifesto. He had no concept of the state-run communist world. The only world he was envisioning was a worker-owner world. This is the irony. These ideas have been around ever since Karl Marx Marx wrote uh, the, the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. And he said... Essentially, that society has these tensions between the ownership class and the laboring class. And the only way for the laboring class to ever get out of their stuff is to trade their labor for the capital, which these guys already had, in order to eventually do it. And so it set them as a huge advantage. He, He saw that the ultimate conclusion of this system was the concentration of wealth. And that the eventual byproduct would be a rebellion by the laborers to say, wait, well, this isn't a good system after all. <laughs> right. This was he. This is what he theorized, theorized and predicted about capitalism. We are in the throes of that right now. We're seeing it unfold. I'm an embodiment and a fulfillment of his prophecy that labor would one day revolt. What do you think I am? Do you think I'm a capitalist? Fuck no. No, right. no, no offense to anyone on the podcast for cussing, but... I am a full-blown laborer through and through. I'm not going to stop till the right. day I die. And it's because I identify with the rest of my peers, with the people I came from, from my neighborhood, right? Exactly. I never wanted to be rich because I hated the rich. Let me level with you. I continue to hate on the rich. I think they could be doing a lot more good. I think they could be taking a lot less vacations. And I think that when, in the, with the problems that exist, you know, there's a lot we can ask. Now, having said that, the, I know the reason why they don't do anything about it. The problems are so big, they know that they can hardly scratch it. Yep. The reality is together through collective action, through gathering, we can align ourselves. That collective action is supposed to be embodied in the social value enterprise flag, that emblem. Once again, if we can trust that signature, that brand, then maybe we can move our consumption dollars over there. Yeah, And all the things that we thought were too big and we could never tackle. All of a sudden, the $2 billion a year of profits from Fruitcraft goes into the School of Social Value Entrepreneurship. We're launching a 1,000 companies that year with $100,000 grants, I don't know, I didn't do the math. But alone, just from the profitability of Fruitcraft, you can see a path towards complete revolution because people who wanted access to the money finally got it. And that was the other thing that Karl Marx had said over and over and over in his writings and his philosophies and his theories was what's pretty apparent in capitalism is that if you want to start a business you're not going to be able to, hmm. unless you came from money. Yeah, that's essentially what he said, and that's true. And the reality and that is, has been
0: the case. Yeah, that has been the case. And, and people that do kind of find their way around that yep. is so few and far between. I mean, mm-hmm. the the it's grains of sand. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, but
1: We highlight those stories to make it seem like we can all achieve it. The reality is they got really lucky, and most of them bought into the same narratives of becoming wealthy and concentrating wealth for themselves. Exactly. Um, so we're in a new age. We're in a new wave of things. And I'm we're at the beginning of it. I kid you not. I'm, I guarantee you, I, I know this because I've talked with a lot of other people in the worker cooperative movement. There's This is happening. Whether we did it or not, we're doing it in the way that we can with the best foot forward that we can because we, we're seeing such... Tremendous growth in our future most companies would never look and hope for that kind of growth But luckily we stumbled into it because let's break it down once again. I got kicked out of church I tried to start a home church met a couple who's making fruit wine as a hobby. We started the business to help them But we realized at some point that we had a much bigger thing on our hands and this is literally what's going to grow into something that potentially could revenue billions of dollars put a whole bunch of money in a whole bunch of people's pockets to start businesses because we're not trying to take ownership of the company. We're trying to give it to them so that they can start employee-owned companies and we can make a difference which we never even thought we could have. And here I was sitting in church thinking, God, when are you going to call me? Because I'm sick and tired of sitting in this chair doing a whole lot of nothing. Right. <laughs>
0: I've heard this song every week for yeah. six weeks. When's it going to change? Yeah, you know. Exactly. And, and I, that's what I think is just cool that This was birthed out of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some of our listeners, I realize that some of it might be, you know, uh, a shock to the system or even to even throw around Jesus and Karl Marx in the same sentence for people is like, that's like the most like not American thing. We're supposed to throw around, you know, Jesus and Trump, you know what I'm saying, which (laughs) don't even get me started. But the point is, is that like, I think. Once again, and we need to do an episode about this sometime, but that's the problem whenever we we label things and we only take things at their face value and Mm -hmm. we do no sort of legwork in between. And I think that the day of the critical thinker is here Mm -hmm. and there's not been a revolution like uh, the internet since the printing press right. and because of that we're seeing all of these new startups we're seeing completely new growth we're seeing yeah. all of this stuff happen and so in my experience with what I consider myself a you know a spiritual entrepreneur if you will yeah. there is complete reform now from church the last yeah. ref reformation that happened mm-hmm. was because knowledge got to the people yeah well, guess what's happening now? <laughs> Knowledge is getting to the people, and we don't want yeah. your capitalistic organizations anymore that yeah. only support these people at the top that mm-hmm. live such secretive lives outside of their platform that yeah. they can't be questioned, they right. can't be you know touched or yeah. anything. You know, yeah. like my friend like says, like to try to talk to a megachurch pastor, you got to get past like the eight trolls <laughs> at, the, at the drawbridge. You yeah. know, and it's right. like, there, the, our generation is. I believe and call it arrogance or not, I don't really care. We are the ones that mm-hmm. are going to set this record straight. Yep. And the only way it's going to happen is if we can forget the stuff from our grandparents generation mm-hmm. of, you know, all of the stigmas of labels of things and 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 move past some of the stuff that is we thought was helping but was actually hindering. Yeah. And so I am a huge believer um, you know, in what you're doing and you know, I can guarantee you now somebody's going to email and be like, you Marxist sons <laughs> of bitches, you know, but no, that it's not really about that. It's more about like the message of Jesus is... That what? That the oppressed would be set free. Mm-hmm. That the blind would see. That that the, the least, the lost, the last yep. would be known. And that they would know that they have value and purpose. And that the Father is always at work in restoring what the human eye and wisdom and rich don't see as yep. valuable. Right. And so I think that all of this just lines up with what that is. Yep. And Jesus has a lot to say about the rich. <laughs> and and I, I think that we have to question and ask ourselves the same things yeah. um, for it to be, you know, mm-hmm. truly valuable and, and world-changing, yeah. you know? So. I'll bring
1: it full circle here with this, uh, this scripture I was just looking for, which is in Isaiah 58. But, um, you know, essentially we were talking earlier about, and this might have been off mic, I'm trying to remember, but uh, we were talking about, you know, the nature of feeling guilty that we always have to have this pious... Religious, yeah. you know, type of thing going on, um, and there's, and so we think that our sacrifice is really what God's looking for, and actually, all throughout the scriptures, definitely in the New Testament, um, it says, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice." Yeah, you know, acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So, um, so that, that this kind of sets a similar stage in Isaiah 58. It says, "Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet." Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say? and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen only for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice Mm. and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations you will be called repairer of broken walls restorer of streets with dwellings if you keep your feet from breaking the sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day if you call the sabbath a delight and the lord's holy day honorable and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) I like that scripture a lot. But uh, in many ways, you ask me kind of like where all this stuff comes from. That's just one part of this. Bible or whatever, right? And I've read it a lot (laughs) once again and it's constantly the same message over and over and over Mm -hmm. and it ultimately comes down to you know the whole love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love each other um, as you would be loved or whatever so you know for me it's kind of a no duh I'm surprised this hasn't been embodied yet, and I'm kind of a little bit disheartened that so many people who claim to be Christians have started businesses for themselves still. Mm. Um, and they totally put themselves on the hill, they bought the mansion, they did it all. Um, and because, you know, maybe the spirit or whatever it is has guided me in a different direction, um, one that I think guides me into truth and into mm-hmm. true fulfillment and happiness, that... Um, once again, I'm not trying to like, toot my own horn here. I'm just saying from a wisdom standpoint, this is the place to go to riches. You want riches going this direction. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll be storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's yeah. investment. We didn't even talk about investment, but that's investment right <laughs> there. That's, some, that's return on investment. So. Um, so yeah, you know, I hope uh, everyone will become more conscious and pay attention more to who owns the businesses they buy from and how that model distributes the profits and its revenues is literally the most important thing in creating a world where we once again have freedom, just like we didn't have freedom in that authoritative kingship until democracy came around. The same thing has to happen within a business. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I kind of advise and recommend to everyone to start thinking in that direction. And, um, you know, we're here to help in any way that we can. And yeah. The only... Thing we're getting out of it is everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything we've ever wanted. You know, yeah. Community, uh, money to go around for everybody, you know, there's plenty for everybody. And so, uh, that's our motive. There's no ulterior there because it's a win, 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 win. The only people who seemingly don't win are the people who currently hold all the market share, are the current owners of all the businesses and will one day no longer. Mm. Because the high will be brought low and the low will be raised up. Yeah. And the, and the first will be, will be last and the first and the, will last. Be, and, and the path will be made straight. You yes. know what I mean? And that's the yeah. world we live in. I look forward to another podcast. Maybe we'll set it up. I don't know um, where we talk about the time and age that we're in right now and how that looks like from setting that path straight from the rebuilding of the ancient ruins and, and the repairing and the work that we have the privilege of doing uh, as these things are changing. By the way, in the exact manners that the Bible does talk about. It's crazy. Like, like I cut a hole in the Bible when I was 17 because I wasn't, I didn't believe in God, and I was trying to make a spot for my pipe, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and now I here I am talking about it as if it's a beautiful thing, and it's freaking beautiful. I can't believe how great it is. I, I can't believe how much shit people talk on it. Yes. Having never read it, or like, I know I understand because a lot of people have misused it, and but they didn't ever really understand it, right? If we just approach it the way that I did, then holy macaroni, we'll have these revelations, we'll walk into those truths, and, yeah. and we won't have to have to, uh, you know, let dogma and other people's thinking cloud our own judgment and our ability to follow the way.
0: Yes. With that, <laughs> that concludes an excellent episode, and we will definitely, definitely get another one yeah. thrown on the books. Cool. So, Alan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and. I will add all the information in the show notes below. So do yourself a favor and follow what's happening with Fruitcraft, Um, especially if you're in San Diego or Southern California at all. You need to – you're missing out. You're totally sleeping on this amazing company, this amazing guy and his brother, and some delicious wine. So check it out. Tune in for the next podcast. Alan, thank you so much, man. Thank
1: you.